Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. I'm Costas Halabrezos. Today, Taylor Widrig, author of The Mermaid Handbook. Let's admit it. Calling our planet Earth was a massive blunder. So let's move straight to its proper name, water, which covers more of the planet than, well, Earth. Next, let's acknowledge those who live in the aquatic majority of the planet, mermaids. Cultures all over the world have stories about these creatures, and there are some common threads which suggest we have a lot to learn from mermaids. Taylor Widrig has wrapped up everything from folklore to scientific facts about mermaid habitat and recipes fit for aspiring merpeople in The Mermaid Handbook, A Guide to the Mermaid Way of Life. Taylor, welcome to Book Me. Hi, thanks for having me. When did you begin to think we should learn more about mermaids? Um, I've always been fascinated by mermaids, and uh, later on uh, in life dove deeper into their tales and deeper meanings. Maybe I'm a bit biased, but already was interested in mermaids as they're such a part of our everyday life and that they should understand them more as they're often depicted as negative or as mean sirens. So I thought it was time to show the world who they really are and their true meaning um, beyond their common misrepresentations. So you're a true believer. I'm a believer, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was interesting to see that mermaid folklore and mythology uh, exists from the Mediterranean to the Pacific, right down to the Amazon, and here in the Atlantic provinces. Tell us about Minnow, the Mi'kmaq mermaid. Yes, Minnow is a wonderful mermaid. Just like um, the other legends living near the ocean, the Mi'kmaq also had their own um, legend of a mermaid. Um, There's also Sedna in the Arctic. But Minnow... She did different things, always with her family and her community. She loved weaving baskets of seagrass and eating oysters, collecting sharks' purses, and maybe sea vegetables. I wanted to honor the Mi'kmaq and their rich culture by featuring Minnow in her best light and highlighting some of the places in the Canadian Maritime she might have enjoyed swimming to. And she sacrificed herself for her family. Tell us that story. Briefly, in the story of Minnow in the book, um, it tells that one day she encountered some hungry sharks and without hesitation, distracting the sharks away from her loved ones and sacrificing herself to save her family. And you actually found some parallels in other mermaid folklore to that story of Minnow. Um, That's right. There's the the Selkies of Ireland. Um, The the Selkies have to give up their seal skins um, in order to be wives and mothers and to live on land. The traditional story of the Little Mermaid, um, she sacrificed her own voice um, in some of the versions. Sedna, as well, sacrificed herself so her father could live. The Brazilian mermaid uh, was banished to eternity in the Nile to protect the rivers. So a very common thread through all of the mermaid folklores around the world is they, they do sacrifice some part of themselves for the greater good. Now what about Melusine, who shows up in Europe, but also Albania? Um, Melusine is, and um, just want to say, in some of my travels to Europe, I've, I've actually seen the Melusine fountains, when you see women in the fountains. And I think, um, through my research and reading on, 
on other goddesses like Aphrodite and Lakshmi and Venus. Um, those were all goddesses that brought wealth um, to their kings or their husbands or their communities just by their true essence of themselves. So when I see Melusine, I, I see her as um, kind of a part of or similar to Aphrodite or Lakshmi um, and can embody their attributes. Um, she's beautiful, kind, and strong, and blesses those in her presence, um, especially her king. Melusine was a modern version of those goddesses, just in a different form. There are many mermaid stories from around the world in your book, but you move from those to what you call the mermaid way. How do you take young readers from stories to what they can practice in their own lives? The Mermaid Way is, in essence, uh, simply a guideline to encourage strength in day-to-day lives. It gives a framework to feel at peace and can be seen. Um, This simple message of following joy or cultivating joy or doing the things that we love um, can be seen in many religions, Christianity, Judaism, Hindu, Sufi, many yoga practices. Um, This is the essence that many deities, saints, and through the history of spiritual practices embody. And it's very similar for the way of the mermaid. She is a goddess or merperson or merfolk of the sea that we can look to for hope and inspiration. Um, I hope I described this essence in a simple enough way to plant a seed in young people's and persons of any age's heads to take with what they can or what they want from it. Well, you have some very down-to-earth practical uh, suggestions for following the mermaid way. For instance, when kids go to the beach. Uh, Yes, um, there's the beach etiquette, uh, how to be a civilized beachgoer and respect your fellow beachgoers by being polite, not littering. There's also the book talks about organizing beach cleanups, which is a really fun way to get together and to get outside and to do something good for the environment. You then take another step in helping readers uh, explore the mermaid way by providing recipes for the so-called sea vegetables, I guess what most of us would call seaweed or, or kelp. What are some of the most common ones in the Atlantic provinces? The most common from the Atlantic provinces are the all-encompassing kelp. In Nova Scotia, I hear a lot of people just referring to seaweed as kelp. Everything is kelp, but there's actually different species and kinds. So kelp is a brown seaweed. Um, some of the ones that we know in Atlantic Canada are rockweed, bladderwrack, or um, saturina. And then there's dulse, which I think is everyone's favorite and definitely my own, which is a red <laughs> seaweed. And then there's Irish moss, and Irish moss is... Um, also a red seaweed, and then there's sea lettuce, which is a green seaweed, Um, and there are many others, but I think that these are the ones most commonly known in this region. We see them, but uh, what would you suggest taking one of the recipes from your book as a good entry-level recipe for someone who actually wants to cook with seaweed or sea vegetables? A really good way to incorporate sea vegetables in the diet is to use it like a spice. So if you have flaked seaweed, you can sprinkle it on most dishes. And if you are not too keen on the taste, um, sometimes people say that they don't like the taste right away, but then they start loving it. So if you want to ingest it for the nutritional properties, rather the taste, you can just sprinkle it on your dishes. 
Or another way um, to eat it is seaweed salad, which is really tasty and, and popular. Most people's favorite way, other than sushi, which is very commonly known. Some of the seaweeds you mention have uh, the quality of taste that goes beyond uh, the ones we're very familiar with. Not bitter or sweet or sour or salty, but they have umami. Yes, all sea vegetables can be considered to have umami because the flavor of umami is actually the organic compound monosodium glutamate, MSG. It was the same scientists at the University of Tokyo that identified the flavor then the compound from miso soup using brown seaweed. And then the compound was later engineered to be used in the commercial ingredients market. Um, We can taste umami more in sea vegetables when they're baked and cooked because it enhances the naturally occurring MSG um, that gives it a meatier umami flavor. And it's that wonderful sense we get when we, oh, I guess eat anything from, you know, ripe tomatoes to even aged Parmesan cheese. That's right. It describes the flavor of comfort, comfort food. Now, I found this book could really inspire people to take a much closer look at the the different kinds of seaweeds that grow in even different parts of the zone between the, the high tide line and the low tide line. What does that suggest about the different properties of different seaweed? Um, Each species has similar nutritional attributes, but um, varying in different levels of compounds. So each species, from brown to red to green, have different potentials of applications. So just like a carrot and a tomato can both have vitamin C, they just have different levels of it. So it's the same for the different species of seaweed. Um, And you would also use a carrot and a tomato in different ways. So... For example, rockweed, which is a brown seaweed, makes an excellent fertilizer um, and would be better suited to use as a fertilizer than dulse. And Irish moss is better suited to produce carrageenan, which is a commercial ingredient than Atlantic kombu. I've lived in older houses in the Maritimes, which actually had old seaweed insulation. What are some of the other more modern uses of seaweeds and their extracts? More modern uses of seeds and their extracts, I would say, are for cosmetic applications. Um, This is not a new trend to use seaweeds in cosmetics. However, seaweeds are making their way into mainstream labels and more accessible rather than just the luxury cosmetic brands. I find the most interesting and big step forward for sustainable packaging is using macroalgae for the production of food packaging. And when you're not writing books like The Mermaid Way, I understand you have a a, a rather deep commercial interest in the seaweeds. Yes, I have my company, Mermaid Fair. Uh, Mermaid Fair works to develop seaweed supply chains and algal biomass in several regions of the world. It also works in product development for primarily the cosmetic and food sectors and advocates for the United Nations development programs, sustainable development goals. And how long have you been involved with that? Uh, Mermaid Fair is seven years old. Have you discussed the Mermaid Way with with young people? Um, Due to our pandemic, it has been difficult to organize events. Um, I had hoped to host educational mermaid events for youth, Um, but I'd say these events are all on hold until 2021. 
But there was this very famous mermaid in Halifax called Miss Raina, the Halifax Mermaid. And she did feature her book um, and some of its messages on her social media account, which was exciting. And we've been doing some online things uh, with Nimbus, like making a mermaid crown, social media updates. Well, Taylor, thank you very much for speaking with us today. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Taylor Widrig is the author of The Mermaid Handbook. It was illustrated by Brianna Cor Scott, and it's published by Nimbus. If you want to hear more conversations with people who create books in Atlantic Canada, authors, illustrators, editors, and designers, we have dozens, all on bookmepodcast.ca. Tell everyone you know who's a reader. If you'd like to comment on a podcast like today's with Taylor Widrig, our email address is info at bookmepodcast.ca. Whenever we add a new interview, we post an alert on Instagram, at bookmepodcast. If you're in the Lunenburg County area, you can hear one of our podcasts every evening on the nonprofit radio station CHLU 93.7 FM, just before sign-off around 9 o'clock. BookMe is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. Our producer is Robin Grant, and our digital maven, Laura Hines, spends a lot of time near salt water. Hmm. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. Read.